now that you've turned 36, any more responsibilities? Your daughter? <laughs> I think after 30, everything is safe. <laughs> Nothing new then. Nothing new. Actually, I forgot. You forgot? <laughs> I forgot. Daughter had to remind you. No, yeah, because there was uh -huh. a cake, sudden surprise, mm. and she wanted to cut. So that's why she, she was eating already. So then she said, have to play. <laughs> How old is your daughter, sir? Four. Four. That's great. She was born here or in Germany? She is in Germany. Germany. So she adapted well to Hyderabad. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> Did you talk to her about what she wants to become in the future? She wants to become police officer as of now. <laughs> <laughs> Law enforcement already. I mean, or sometimes, I think day before yesterday, she wanted mm. to become traffic police officer. <laughs> because traffic police. Traffic police. Because she was, she saw two frogs were fighting. So she made them separated. And then, <laughs> and then she told us that she taught them traffic signals. Traffic signals to frogs. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about your, uh, so right after you graduated bachelor's degree, what was your first job, do you remember? Job. Your bachelor's first job? Degree. I think bachelor's degree, within bachelor's or before I did jobs. But after bachelor's degree, I didn't do job. I mm. joined uh, MSc, Animal mm. Biotechnology, here mm. at Hyderabad Central University. And then left to PhD to Germany. That's great. But what was your actual first job? Not, oh. right, not after bachelor's degree, it's your first job that you remember. I did so many jobs. So mm. I think um, after my plus two or mm. intermediate week. So, where, uh, where I took a break for one year and some family and financial situation. So, at the time, somebody came to my uncle and said, like, I have a lot of medical representative jobs open in my mm. company. And then, um, med being medical representative was my dream. I even wanted to buy a Splendor bike. And so, I went behind him and then uh, after three months, he said, he won't offer me a job. He wouldn't be able to offer me a job because I don't have a bachelor's degree. So uh, then slowly I started some sales jobs, selling hepatitis B vaccinations door to door, scaring people <laughs> about hepatitis B. So you would go door to door and sell them the HBAV vaccine. So we tell them about uh -huh. uh, what what hepatitis B is, and then uh, once they get convinced, and we'll we'll sell them something called card. On the card, we the take information card. Information card. Mm. We'll take ten rupees, and then we'll tell that. End of the week, there will be vac uh, hepatitis mm -hmm. B vaccination camp. So they need to come with this card and mm -hmm. then they have to pay remaining balance. If it is children, 50 rupees. If it is adult, mm -hmm. 100 rupees. What would people say when you went to sell these vaccines? I mean, it, there used to be a good feedback. It depends mm -hmm. on how much knowledge we carry mm -hmm. with them. Because mm -hmm. usually we go to villages and, and scare them, right? <laughs> so, of course, we educate them. But education also has dramatization part. So I think... Uh, there used to be mixed, mixed feelings. 90% of the people, they don't get it. And 10% of the people, they really think that this is very important. And uh, sometimes I used to make 10 sales per day, 100 rupees I used to earn, or sometimes mm. 1, 2 sales, 20 rupees per day, 30 rupees per day. This was the first job. Were you happy with that job? Did you get satisfaction from going door-to-door -door selling hepatitis B <laughs> vaccines? I mean, satisfaction, happiness are so relative. You know, It really mm. depends on what you want. I think some days I used to do really good. Some days <clears throat> didn't matter. Some days were really worse. Yeah, I think uh, afterwards I, I did do and maybe three to four months or six months something I don't remember. Then I changed. 
I started teaching in schools. It started, what were you teaching in schools? I was teaching biology. 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 And then uh, sales boy in dress showrooms, catering. So you worked in every sector, the food and beverage industry, oh the teaching God. industry, <laughs> the medical industry. So yeah. that's actually very diverse. Now that you see that you are working in a very high position, mm -hmm. you are the CEO of FABA, Federation of Asian Biotech Association. So to think that someone at your position came from selling clothes in a dress showroom to here, what do you want to say to people who want to pursue a future in anything that they want? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> such a, <laughs> such a loaded a, question. Such a big question. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, uh, the turning points is, is meeting some good people. Because most of the time you lose, you do not know what next. Uh, so you, you think that you know, but actually most of the time you are not aware what's what's happening. It's about whom you meet, how you get inspired. In my case, uh, I had to go and study again my bachelor's because, you know, I told you, you know, all these sales jobs were not yielding me anywhere. So uh, one of my friends recommended me I should do a bachelor's degree. That's when I started uh, looking for what exactly I can do after my plus two. I thought I'll apply for a BCom degree so that, you know, I don't need to go for college. Then somehow I was so fascinated with the word biotechnology, I didn't. One of my friends said, go, go and do bioinformatics. And I looked, I'm from a very small place. I looked what exactly is bioinformatics, there was no course available. Then I went to government college and then they had biotechnology. And the application fees was so little. So I took Bicom and biotechnology. Then biotechnology they selected, even though I want to go for Bcom, but I was somehow fascinated with biotechnology. I went there, you know, my, my weakness was studying good. So I was the topper and my lecturer uh, used to push me to go to to study well and then I went to, I was fortunate to go to a coaching center from a, a teacher called Srinivasarao that, uh, that basically changed my way of thinking because I was doing all sales jobs, morning college, afternoon sales jobs, evening coaching and then he used to tell me, Jagdish, dream big, you can also do masters, PhD and everything and uh, meeting him, meeting, he used to bring alumni to coaching centers and that changed my way of thinking. Otherwise, I was all about being medical representative, selling tablets. What was that one thing that made you choose biotech? I didn't become a doctor and I mm. wanted to mm. do something else with that, <laughs> with that biology as a background. And biotechnology was fancy term. I mean, honestly, mm. I didn't know the meaning of biotechnology even after PhD as well. But now, now I, whenever I ask students now, do you know the meaning of biotechnology? People put blank faces. Nobody really understands it. So uh, it was just... Fancy course, I mm. took it. I couldn't have taken anything. Microbiology, biochemistry, zoology, botany. Just, I think, my friend told, either take biotechnology or BCom, and I took biotechnology. But uh, but right now, I think I made a very good choice choosing biotechnology. I mean, maybe it could be another course as well. I see a lot of potential in biotechnology now. And the reason why I joined FABA, Federation of Asian Biotech Association, is it's, it's uh, the next, next, what to say, next revolution is in biotech like IT revolution. I think the viewers are not aware that Dr. Jagdish went from being a sales boy in a dress showroom to having a PhD from the Heidelberg University. So that is very inspirational even for me and I'm sure for all the viewers. So how did you get to do a PhD in Heidelberg University? 
like what was your transition from uh, being in biotech in your bachelor to Heidelberg University? Uh, it, it all uh, it all goes back again to inspiration. You know, in mm. my coaching center, so I had two ambitions. One is to earn money first because I had a lot of responsibilities at home, and then uh, my my teacher told me I should study well. Then then I want to balance both how to earn money as well as study study well. So uh, then I got to know going abroad, especially to Germany, was easy when you study well, and also they will pay you one lakh stipend when you go there. So I had two motivations immediately after finishing my master. So I was good at studies all the time. I even got a, a prize from Abdul Kalam for getting second in University of Hyderabad entrance examination. So I think two things I balanced. Then uh, going to Germany was not so difficult for me. I applied, I cracked all the interviews, and went there. There I, I struggled a bit in Germany while well, I went there because in India uh, we are more bookish. In Germany there are a lot of practicals. So operating mass spectrometry and this kind of high-end technique, it was difficult for me. And, and another one was also I wanted to PhD for another reason. Uh, I was so interested to do PhD on cancer research because cancer was, uh, I had a lot of family history, my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt. My friends, so many were uh, died, uh, diagnosed with cancer and some died. And I was kind of thinking it like, why, what is this cancer? Can I do something? As we were talking about your PhD in cancer. So you were saying uh, you've seen cancer in your family. A lot mm -hmm. of people in your family suffered from cancer. And that pushed you to do cancer mm -hmm. for a PhD. And so what sort of job did you want after getting a PhD? Or did the jobs come to you naturally? It's, it's both actually. Mm -hmm. Like uh, So when, when I was doing PhD, so I, I was fascinated about research. I really wanted to pursue research. But uh, then a couple of my skill sets, they, they showed automatically. They came out like building communities, building networks. And I was all the time the you know front face of anything. Like I was the president of Heidelberg Indian Student Association. So I used to meet a little bit of bureaucrats, ambassadors. And everybody then uh, on, uh, automatically some meetings used to come and some problems used to come I used to solve them I was also carrying very good research then there was all the time negativity in the PhD circles like there are no all the time talking about bosses all the time talking about toxicity about the work environment mm. and I was advocating how to tackle it but uh, then when you when I question myself like uh, what next after PhD uh, postdoc then after postdoc, we need to apply in the universities and the positions are very limited. It could be Germany, US or India and uh, many people, my, my friends, Indians were coming back to India, but they were uh, not getting positions here. A lot of recommendations and also, you know, you need to know people, that's what they used to say. Then, uh, so two things like one, I was knowing my strengths, another one is knowing the negativity of uh, academia. Then, uh, then I, I wanted to play my strengths. So I got into innovation ecosystem in my PhD. And then um, afterwards, you know, I got into something called EIT, mm -hmm. EIT Health Ecosystem. And was that a government position for the German government? Yes, for two years it's on probation. Afterwards, it will become permanent. Mm -hmm. So it's these are called as permanent positions, unlimited contracts. I also saw a very interesting magazine cover where you are on the magazine cover. Uh, what was it called again? Stars of Biotech. I don't know. These are all we, we made them. We have to look it up. <laughs> Doesn't matter. So we, we had a couple of startup ideas. Couple of startups were there. I was having a startup. My wife has was having a startup. We were doing uh, 
she was advocating a lot about women health so my wife is also phd by the way from my place uh, phd in germany what does he have what does she have a phd on pediatric metabolism so we both were doing good stuff about healthcare like we had i think strong voice we were opening up we were talking and uh, that's where all these things magazines or podcasts blogs everything comes how do you meet your wife in that coaching center i told you know where wow. I, in my bachelor's <laughs> so it all started there <laughs> tell us more about why it. <laughs> it's okay sir <laughs> because But, uh, it's very if it's very difficult to even handle a relationship if someone's into research because research will take most of the time they have to work night and day because if it's on cancer i i believe you have to uh, invest a lot of time mm -hmm. in getting the results that you want so now people are scared to get into the healthcare industry or anything due to with biology because it eats away most of the time and they cannot find good enough time for the relationship mm. so i i think it's very important so yeah, how did you manage that what about if you if you both don't have time <laughs> <laughs> but how did you manage to find the time to sustain relationship i think and a research job so our both labs were very near and sometimes i used to sleep in her lab she used to sleep in my lab while i was doing experiments so she understood what i have to do we our experiments used to be same i was doing a lot of crispr knockouts she was i was doing on cells she was doing on zebra fish we were we were really thinking experiments sometimes uh, some experiments used to be tough for me and she used to help me out and for her it used to be tough and i used to help her out and we had a lot of friend circle around similar so uh, it doesn't matter whether i am there or not somehow we were taken care so i think building that networks that helping networks are very important and that helped us in research we had we enjoyed our phd times people complain a lot but yes, but yes. we i mean we also had a lot of complaints but mm -hmm. i think that's part and parcel of business but mm -hmm. we really really enjoyed it i think uh, knowing you for the last 4 months you are working really hard to make sure uh, the phd labs or any biotech the biotech environment doesn't have that that much toxicity because this industry is very closed off to new people i think faba is trying to get rid of that toxicity and that strong nature of biotech industry right now and let people let let the information be democratized mm -hmm. let people know what they want and faba is helping people mm -hmm. to know what they want and we have faba fridays as well mm -hmm. so uh, why don't you tell us about faba fridays Faber Fridays is a very simple concept that came. We attended some uh, Farhan, my, our intern, who was telling us that we attended one event called Impact Fridays at Shubhlaiti. Then we thought, like, actually, I, I forgot how we came up with Faber Fridays, but he told me that's how it is. Then we said, like, we will do something on Fridays, and we call Faber Fridays. But in my mind, I thought this inspiration came from Greta Thunberg, Impact mm. Fridays for Future, mm. Impact Fridays. So that's when we picked, and then uh, somehow. i should thank all faba team divya sharma farhan redena sir ratnakar sir everybody when i when i i just launched the program faba fridays like every friday we'll have a mentoring session for students it's basically bridging the you know the knowledge gap so many students even they finish phd postdoc or masters or anything they will be they will be not even have a knowledge to make a simple cv it's very unfortunate i mean our education system doesn't train them how to be you know job ready or market ready and this faba fridays has that potential to be that bridge and now we finished 10 10 faba fridays and uh, they, we had students from 159 universities from i think around 6 to 10 countries 
and even industries are coming uh, coming to us big big mentors are coming to us so it's it's quite amazing how a simple concept of hub of fridays can go a long way even companies like dr reddy's when i pitched recently to them about what fava is doing they were super impressed with fava fridays i think it will if it if we can continue this fava friday so every friday 6 to 8 or 9 7 to 9 uh, indian time we will be mentoring students it could be either on and, the topic and especially for free for free mm. there's no we don't want to monetize it monetize in the sense we don't want to charge the participants we may look for sponsors but we will not do any business there because that shouldn't be a barrier of course people see that when you give for free something there's no value but it doesn't matter for us we we will be there and we have the bandwidth do you play any sports dr jagdish not now <laughs> what did you used to play back in your play, college days uh, beach volleyball in in germany hmm. yeah, beach volleyball beach volleyball. wow beach volleyball and uh, uh, back in college i used to play cricket hmm. i was the captain of cricket team and nowadays i think life itself is a sport <laughs> life <laughs> itself is a sport right now my when my wife was active so right now she's is not so active she was a yoga teacher and she used to teach yoga so i was one of her three students <laughs> monday wednesday friday 5 uh, to 6 in the morning <laughs> she's really strict she has to be <laughs> <laughs> right after you graduated from your bachelor's degree and if i graduate bachelor's degree right on biotech if we compare the both how hard is it for someone to get a job back in the day and now i think nowadays it's it's quite easy so back in the day actually there's i had no clue how to get a job i didn't even know what jobs exist after bsc biotechnology or even msc biotechnology people say industry but the thing is it's a very big term industry how to go there how to convince people what exactly is the structure i think it was blank for me I mean, now you have a lot of social media, WhatsApp. In WhatsApp, I think you'll see a lot of jobs, and and there are many people to help you out. Job communities, job communities. Job posting. Yeah. Then if you have a good, uh, you know, social media profile, you can directly follow them. Back then, it was not like that. So that was that's why it was after BSc, MSc was the immediate thing that you can choose. After MSc, PhD. That's the only trajectory that you know. At, at least we know. I mean, uh, in our MSc, we got one campus placement. It's called. Bellamal institutions. So there you go and teach. It's a international school or national school. I don't know. And then uh, we thought like that's the only job exists after you MSc. And then that's why we chose PhD. Uh, of course, we were also interested in research. So now I think there are lots of career options because the whole industry is growing. Industry is opening up, and there are lots of jobs that are there. So there's a huge disparity between the number of people going to biotech. and the number of people going to information technology and computer science like if you see the research that we we saw we recently had a discussion within ourselves that there's a big disparity between between people who take uh, it stuff or computer science and biotech mm-hmm. very few people want to go with the biotech future why do you think that is i mean the answer is straightforward the employability right so uh, they are not biotech is not that rich as it so uh, let's say maybe hardly few people in biotechnology get jobs remaining don't we have to talk about hard facts right so in it it's not like that at least you know one can be placed after 6 months or one year campus placement if they good they get it it's good uh, even very simple like 5000 rupees per month or 10000 15000 but the trajectory is so high like uh, within few years their their uh, 
CTC or the, the salary that they earn is huge and person is getting job is easy and then salaries are high. So compared to that biotechnology, I don't think we still have that, you know, same thing that we cannot compare it. So the entry level job for a biotech uh, job is very high compared to... It's difficult to get, first thing is, and the second one is the salaries are not good. Salaries are not good. At Faba, we are trying, for example, if, a few days back, I was talking to a startup and the startup called me and said like, hey Jagdish, I'm looking for so and so people. Uh, MSc graduation and they should be working under me and I asked what would be the salary or maybe I will pay 10,000 rupees then I pitched in for 25,000 rupees per month even 25,000 is small for me but that guy said no I cannot pay more than 15,000 and their market value is only that and can we tell the same for mtech <laughs> absolutely M -tech not it guy no, absolutely not He's, he goes in you know at least starts with 5 lakhs or 6 lakhs per annum here you are talking about one lakh fifty thousand or one lakh twenty thousand. So at least like four x difference is there. So these are the realities. I think we have to value so, and also like you know the IT engineers they contribute to live projects. So that means the the, the companies earn because these are all service based projects in mm -hmm. India a lot because you are serving either a foreign country or some foreign companies. In biotech, it's very few or like that. So maybe CRO business are there, but again. It's not comparable to IT. I think, uh, let's say someone just graduated right out of their biotech degree. There's a huge gap between the number of graduates that are graduating every year and the number of jobs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all these graduates are not getting the jobs. Yes. And there's a lot of empty positions. And yeah. the graduates are clueless as to what their future can be. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? It's true, right? I mean, one thing is that what kind of skill set you carry even after graduation or even after PhD? So we, we are talking only about BSc, right? But even after PhD, what are the transferable skills that you carry? Once you have good transferable skills, getting jobs is easy, really easy. It's not so difficult. It's about knowing people, knowing the, the field and everything. So, but it's always, you know, communication skills, how, whether you are good with people or not. It's only subject will not lead you anywhere. And especially fields like biotechnology are not one day things. These are like, Researchers, you need to put a lot of years of effort where sometimes the, the return on investment is zero or even in minus. So that's where I think getting jobs is difficult, but also the field itself is long. Incubation time, we call it. And that's why we are up to creating Faba Entrepreneurship and Faba Academy. Faba Academy is basically telling them, telling students or mentoring them, identifying what are the opportunities that they can find first time is providing them knowledge, like providing them all the basket of knowledge that the whole field has. We provide directly access to the mentors, access to experts. And for entrepreneurship, that's like one thing, it's good you touch base with uh, with us, with, with me this thing, because entrepreneurship is uh, is kind of very well represented in the, in, the, in the universities or even in the institutes, because the teachers, they themselves do not understand entrepreneurship and they never encourage students to start something. And uh, fortunately, our government is very, very proactive, Indian government. So there are a couple of grants like EU or Spursh. So these kind of grants, if a student has a, any innovative idea, they will give fellowship. So one can start the startup and, and understand what startup journey is. Some products can come out of from their innovation, right? So I think uh, entrepreneurship is also one career opportunity. One has to be serious there. And there are lots of grants that, that will help you kickstart your project. <laughs> what is FABA? <laughs> A lot of people don't know what FABA is. A lot of people think FABA is just a non-profit organization. 
just touching base is biotech but we're doing a lot more than that mm-hmm. so wh- how do you describe faba so i mean faba is a historic organization historic historic <laughs> it has a prehistoric ancient <laughs> not like that so it, it has it started in 2004 i mean redinas are uh, bp acharyagaru who was the ias officer and couple of other dignitaries in the field and uh, i think it was ys rashakaredi who was chief minister at the time so they launched papa basically to run an event called bio asia so bio asia is an event that happens in hyderabad where they bring lot of pharma biopharma governments together and then do they do the event they showcasing biotechnology that is present in hyderabad and papa was known for that is is a people puller like especially in the bio field to hyderabad and uh, in 2020 the definitions of papa got changed because now the network of papa is so strong it's not only in india also in many other countries but how about we also cater the needs of somebody who is at the ground who are students that's where i was also part of uh, launching faba academy so faba network exists with that network now we want to help out students that's where academy is there now i think we have done more than 100 plus workshops and webinars and trained more than 12000 individuals uh, it could be skilling or providing them jobs and then that has much more Uh, you know runway to go we we will be empowering thousands or lakhs of students with end to end programs we are designing a lot of end to end programs so for students for colleges universities a place to look for especially in biology field is faba academy and last year in 2022 we launched faba entrepreneurship a third wing so faba as a network is first wing faba academy is a second wing faba entrepreneurship is a third wing so here it is all about helping startups so if you look at biotechnology startups or bio startups in general they are not as uh, investable as fintech or edtech startups because the return the, on investment isn't instantaneous yeah people so, want money asap exactly exactly in biotechnology as i said the incubation time is is long it can, it can take you know sometimes more than a decade especially if clinical trials or regulatory uh, affairs are involved it will take time so that's why it these are not investment they can't be investment ready so quickly so that's where faba want to change the rules of the game because we have that network how could we enable startup investments or how can we help them out in mentoring or providing them market access and we launched last year with an event called whale tank and whale tank we invited around 8 venture capitalists and we invited around 60 biotechnology startups and we made startups to pitch to vcs so it was one of the i think one of the very unique event that we have done it shark tank for shark tank for uh, biotech companies yeah but not sharks sharks are angel investors but we invent, we invited venture capitalists so who are a bit above on angels because these guys bring huge chunk of money mm. couple of millions and uh, so that's where we we have that network we have startup network as well we're building multiple programs for them and as of now startups comes to us and we are helping them ad hoc like based on what they want but we do not have end to end programs designed but we are in the process of designing end to end programs but most of our time is actually going for students now so faba academy is the center of faba as of now we do also big big events for governments or um, some um, independent parties who want to enable the ecosystem but uh, as a as as a chief operating officer of faba my focus is all about helping students as of now getting jobs or upskilling them and i'm i want to make the viewers and the listeners aware that even the Faba actually implemented the antimicrobial resistance action plan in the state of Andhra Pradesh which many people don't know mm-hmm. 
faba played a key role in making sure that this action plan actually gets into a legislation in andhra pradesh mm-hmm. but telangana doesn't currently have that mm-hmm. so how would you go about implementing an action plan for uh, antimicrobial resistance in telangana so it has to come from bureaucrats first so we cannot go and advocate them like you know look this is important so for us in andhra pradesh the government came to us and asked professor redana so redana can you please help us help us so for people who doesn't know what antimicrobial resistance is i mean uh, when we get fever or throat ache or anything in india we take or india or elsewhere in other countries as well we take antibiotics so when we take lot of antibiotics our uh, antibiotics are actually going and killing bacteria that's what we think but bacteria they are very intelligent creatures they can get mutated themselves and they get resistant to antibiotics so that the antibiotics once you take it they stop working and unfortunately we our antibiotics i think were discovered way back maybe in 1940s or actually, 30s even older than that and we still have the same hmm. we don't have new line of antibiotics so that means bacteria are becoming more intelligent and our anti our antibiotics are hmm. becoming more you know uh, not functionable so that's where the next threat like covid we are we will be looking is antibiotic resistance because uh, your antibiotics stop working and imagine tuberculosis which is already has having multiple uh, resistant tuberculosis and there are many thousands actually are dying or millions dying with tuberculosis and that happens for a simple fever or or viral disease bacterial disease and this is what we will encounter so who came with a action plan for whole world telling that look antibiotic antibiotic resistance will be the next big threat and you need to tackle it separately and these are the guidelines and they gave they told every country to have an action plan it's called national plan right and then they gave and then the country said like every state should have its its own plan state plan so like that i think kerala um, i don't remember another state in india and now andhra pradesh has they have their own implement, their own action plan state action plan national action plan and uh, but pl- having plan is not enough one has to have an implementation plan that's where faba along with other organizations like uh, uh, world animal protection uh, rights and un cdc who kind of drafted land biotechnology as well yeah couple of other organizations we gave an implementation action plan and that report is available online so it came from the government to us and then our job was to pull people and give more uh, knowledge partner but we cannot comment when telangana wants to have it or uh, who comes to us i think this uh, antimicrobial resistance has a problem both in the medical sector and the pharma sector because now the pharmaceutical industry have has to develop new drugs mm-hmm. that can be used to treat very very resistant bacteria and rampant usage of antimicrobials in the clinical setting mm-hmm. nowadays doctors are not following evidence based medicine mm-hmm. i think that's the biggest problem in the medical sector in india a lot of doctors do not read papers make themselves aware of uh, new treatment methodologies and now prescribing rampant antibi- antibiotics to the people and the pharmaceutical industry is struggling to develop new pharmaceutical products to treat that mm-hmm. so i think it's very important to implement an action plan in every state and actually go with it i mean i love the enthusiasm that you shall a snail brings in so we we are just you know enabling whatever your enthusiasm is mm. for example you want to do podcast i think you are you deserve it mm. because you have interest you are not like a typical medical doctor who wants to do medicine and then be in the clinic you want to do something more in healthcare 
Simler Kushal as well. He mm-hmm. has medical businesses, but he wants to do much more. So this podcast gives you, you know, exposure to the real world. Whenever something comes up, you can pick it up as an opportunity. So what Faba actually wants to do from when I joined is to collaborate, enable collaboration between the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the business industry, mm-hmm. and the biotech industry. Because all of these industries are working in their own path. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they are just releasing the product and forcing the medical industry to, ad- to adopt it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lack of feedback mechanism between the end user and the people who are creating things. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to do about it or what do you think about this problem right now? I think collaboration is a must. So if we want to be in the game for long time, long term, you know, collaboration is really a must. So uh, I was recently talking to one of the PhD students. I'll tell you why I'm telling this story. Uh, he was working on, he's a fifth year PhD student. His fellowship will stop in few few months. And uh, I asked him, what is the use of your PhD student, uh, PhD study? Then he said, no, I'm identifying this gene mechanism in this bacteria and I want to identify it. It's like, okay, so what is the use of it? He said, like, I'll get a publication and then I'll wind up my PhD in next two to three years and then I'll do go for a postdoc. He didn't even understand what my question is like. Okay, stop your explanation. I'm asking like your grandmom. So I'm my your grandmom is asking you a question. What is your use of your PhD? So you should tell in a way that you know what kind of application exists in the market. So he was working on some kind of bacteria that is used in biofuels, like cyanobacteria or something. So he didn't even understand that application. He can read papers. He can write about it. So uh, this kind of innovators doesn't understand where actually these products are being used. The industries understand it. But the medical doctors, so now I'm talking about the whole supply chain or what to say, the innovation ecosystem. So there's a lot of knowledge gap. If a PhD student doesn't understand where his innovation goes, or if the, if the industry doesn't understand where the patient needs, or if the doctor doesn't understand what happens when they prescribe a pill or something. So whole, basically this knowledge gap is, is, is like, it's an ignorance that we are playing with. So I think this has to be addressed. That's where, you know, the workshop that we want to conduct on design thinking, where we first think about end user. So when in the end user, what exactly they need. So uh, if, if you know what end user needs, then basically you can, you know, re-innovate. Otherwise, you can come retrospectively and then design things. So a collaboration is a must from an innovator and, and the end user like a doctor and patient. Of course, the business guy, pharma industry has to step in because if there is no business for anything, then the market won't survive. What I, when I joined as the associate for the healthcare side of Faba, I think we had a discussion about this. We would want to bridge the gap between the biomedical engineers and doctors and let doctors decide what the end product should be. Mm-hmm. Because doctors are the ones who are dealing with patients all day and they know the needs of the patients and how it can enable the doctors to know what what kind of service can be dispensed to the patient. So if we can bring in a, in a room biomedical engineers and doctors and let them just think, let, let it be a, a session which is full of ideas and uh, feedback from the doctors, feedback from the biomedical engineers, let them brainstorm in a room for a while and they will get new ideas. I'm sure this happens in the industry, but then not all doctors are actively involved. These doctors are the actual employees of that company itself. Mm-hmm. 
the end doctors, the end user doctors, let's say in a very small setup in a rural health center, mm. and if they want to dispense a technological device, it doesn't match the needs of the rural population, mm. let's say. And that's how the workshop you mentioned, design thinking. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about design thinking. So design thinking is, is basically a concept. It came from Stanford. Actually, it came from a place in a Germany called Aachen or something. I don't remember exactly, but popularized by Stanford. And there, there the idea is that it has five steps. Empathize, ideate, um, prototype test, the one step I missed. So basically, it's a mix of all these steps by having end user in the perspective. You directly talk to the end user. You directly talk to the end user and then let's say you are designing a shoe for the end user thinking that he loves a black shoe or, and then uh, you do not know his size. You do not know whether he likes black or not or whether you do not know whether he will wear shoes or not. So all these things, why don't you talk to the end user and the end user will tell what he or, he or she wants. Based on that, you come back and you think like what he wants and then you design it you, you ideate it, you again go back and test it. This is what is basically end user. But in terms of hospital setting, in terms of patient care, we rarely do that. So exactly. we rarely do that. We are mostly, I mean, guided by clinical trials or guided by research, but, but it's never like what patient wants. So these things are kind of, I have seen beautiful examples. One of the company that I know uh, works, for example, ultrasound scanning in, in Africa. So it's really difficult for them. They don't have money to buy ultrasound machines. And uh, one of my friend from Netherlands, she's a Dutch, and she went to Africa and saw that they cannot afford ultrasound machines. And then she saw like what, how much they can afford, what do they have. Then she saw that they ha they all have mobile phones and there's a good network coverage. She went back to TU Delft in Netherlands and she designed an MRI uh, ultrasound machine that can be operated through phone. It's a very simple ultrasound machine that now people can scan on the phone by using this one. Anywhere, it's Anywhere. remote. It's a Even very remote simple, areas. she yeah. look at her pictures, what she posts and everything. It's just like a simple thing on the phone, then you, you scan and you can see it in the phone. So this is an example of end user innovation. Like you know what end user wants. So like one thing I told is affordability here, like you know, uh, the price models in Africa, for example, they can't afford it. And, and getting it from abroad was super difficult. And what kind of machines that they can operate. So it's so easy with the, with the mobile phones, they can run training from Netherlands. So everybody has a phone, everybody has internet, they can be trained. So no video setup, no fans and everything. So these are very simple examples of design thinking. I think another example which was very intriguing was how MRI machines for kids are very scary. Mm -hmm. So when a kid gets into an MRI machine, it's a big tube and the kid is scared. Mm -hmm. And you would get bad MRI images after the scan. So I think you talked about an MRI machine where it's designed for kids. What yes. was it again? So it's, it's, it's a story which we talk about G Healthcare. G Healthcare is a big giant in, in MRI machines. And uh, so the a pediatrician, I do not know where it's in US or somewhere else. A pediatrician bought an MRI machine for kids, but it was kept idle. He never used MRI machines. And the G Healthcare or Philips, I, all these stories. <laughs> <laughs> so there, this, when the, when the service engineer or the, the expert from the company went to the doctor and said like you bought this machine for so high price why are you not using it then he said like all the kids who are coming to me are scared to go into the MRI machine then this guy went back to the company and told this is the problem and then they realized that all the pediatricians who ever bought MRI machines they're not using it very well then then they wanted to solve this because many kids need an MRI to, to diagnose things right could be brain could be knees or anything 
and then uh, they went to the children and asked why are you not interested to go to mrmi then said they said like it's so dark it's so sound so many sounds comes and we are scared to go into the mrmi then they basically watch the kids so they they basically shadowed the kids what they love and then they 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 saw the kids love you know the, this pirate kind of thing everybody wants to be a police officer or hide and seek and everything so they took this concept and then uh, saw that how mri machine can replicate what they want so they basically made this mri machines as a pirate den they they colored it they pictured it and even when made are, more playful for the kids exactly when even when kids are going into the mri machine they dress them as pirates mm. and say like now you go into a den and you you hide there for one hour and they all everything will be painted in this pirate kind of thing and they will be actually thinking that they are either pirates or otherwise the police something which they are part of storytelling now these the uh, mri machines are designed like that is colorful and everything it's a very simple concept but uh, you know huge cost mri machines people were not using it now since they are designed for kids that can be used i think that's a very good example of design thinking and i think it should be very widespread and in the biotech industry especially when they design a product they should collaborate doctors like this get feedback from their users and one thing that i can i can uh, clearly say one example where design thinking or actually the end user thing is failing is this uh, novo nordisk insulin injections people, absolutely people carry this pens as if they are carrying some treasure you know the people put mm. it but nobody is aware of the temperature that because insulin is unstable uh, when when at room temperature especially all the proteins are exactly yeah. they, they get be, denatured and it's useless if it's, you inject it exactly and and my mom for example she lives in a village and most of the time we have power failures and our fridge never functions so she is just using it at room temperature I, mean, i have no clue whether it works or not one time i thought like i'll break it and open and run a gel and see if the insulin is stable or not so you did that actually i wanted to do it <laughs> i wanted to do it but uh, but when you know this is where the, the design thinking or understanding the end user because no one not disk is a danish company and it is cold there and the insulin pens are created there and now it is exported to all the countries thinking that it works hopefully it works even at room temperature <laughs> we don't know we don't know <laughs> but actually it's not advised above 8 degrees because proteins are unstable i think that's a failure of design thinking because i think they wanted to market it as a very remote device where you can carry it everywhere and design it like a pen so people uh, attribute it to being very handy and take uh, being able to take it anywhere but they didn't they probably didn't realize that as pens they would put it in like pockets or keep it in their bags and let the insulin denature and they are not aware of that exactly and right. i i don't think they are i don't say they are not I'm aware i'm sure i think just uh, market market demands that mm. and or there is no technology one of my friend has a company called lamarck biotech he is actually solving that by bow he, he came from spain his company is in coimbatore now he is designing room temperature insulin so all the peptides that could be put at room temperature and then could be injected i think that would be a very good help because we can uh, dispatch it to rural areas where we don't have cold storage yeah exactly if we start about storage it'll go on for hours and hours yeah <laughs> you have so many people that you know of <laughs> i'm in the industry you have so many friends i think that's very important i believe you have friends in every industry and at every stage of that process who are, who just incepted an idea who are at the end stage and releasing it to mass market that's a beauty of helping others when you try to help others actually you will get into a lot of stories because you listen their story and then you help i think my unique skill set is only helping people connecting them and when you connect you learn a lot of stories it's great that you bring your uh, contacts to baba 
and Faba already has an immense number of contacts in every industry at every level. And I think the viewers can't realize that because they're not aware of what Faba consists of. Mm -hmm. We have people ranging from uh, managing directors of a pharma company to startups to people who are going to do a startup. So tell us about Faba's family. Faba works with various stakeholders. So stakeholders, when I say, uh, if somebody wants to enter into Faba, they, they can take membership. So the membership starts with 1000 rupees for students and can go until 5 lakhs per corporate when industry with a lifetime membership. That's one way. And the second way is they, they can become MOU partners. Like uh, let's say we both want to do a, a workshop or something. We, we draft an MOU and sometimes we think of finances. Sometimes we think of end user. If, if a student is really needy, we don't care much about finances. Or uh, some uh, sometimes some people come with proposals. Like uh, there's one US organization now. They say like they want to train many of the biological safety level three labs of India on how to tackle biological safety level three threats. Let's say how a COVID vaccine, if it leaks from the lab, how do you basically tackle it? And they run through Faba by giving money to Faba. So we get salaries paid for that. So like that, there are multiple ways how you can work with Faba. And so that with that, we basically equip with various stakeholders. We have government organizations, we have incubation centers, we have students, we have private colleges, we have universities, we have pharma companies, like uh, many of the, you name, big, big pharma companies in Hyderabad at least are our members. So they pay, pay corporate membership and stay with us and we provide them different type of benefits. And uh, right now, as I said, we are heavily focused on students. So we want to go student centric. And, and uh, let's say we, uh, we want to be a proud you know, family of students and enabling them. The executive committee of Faba has big, big names. Yeah. We have Dr. Reddanna. Mm -hmm. And tell us more about uh, the other executive committee members. So Faba, as a structure-wise, we always should have president from abroad, not from India. So Faba is headquartered in Hyderabad, but all the time presidents are from abroad. Right now, we have president Dr. Azul Ghani from Bangladesh. He's the president of Faba. And next to him, ex, uh, executive president, Professor Edena, who is the heart and brain of Faba. It's his own network, his own passion for enabling. His brainchild. His brainchild, basically. It's, is, is the, and is his network. That's what is the engine for Faba. And uh, as Faba is a non-profit organization, it should have its own board. And that board is executive committee. And our executive committee board, mem board members are very sound. Like we pick who are really somebody strong in the ecosystem. So we have people from uh, industries, we have people from academia, we have people from startups, people from government. So, I mean, one can look it up names on the internet in our website, but they're all of sound knowledge. So they can bring a lot of value. It could be students, it could be the ecosystem or startups. This is our first, our first podcast, by the way, but we're planning on bringing a lot of people. First, we want to tackle Faba's own family, bring all the executive company members and We'll interview them, but this is a very good starting point. I think it's a it's a much needed podcast that you and Kushal are planning. Why? Because most of the scientists who run these shows are very behind the curtain. Yeah, they are very shy. Let's say they they, they say like let my results speak, and, and that's that's what in Faba Academy we train a lot of scientists to come and speak. Exactly. Uh, come and open up, showcase your strengths. It's very difficult to bring them onto you know limelight. I think what you are trying to do is is a need of the hour. Because most of the heroes, these are the heroes. The unspoken heroes. Unspoken heroes. For example, I can I can name, I think Shahma and all our team. We went to uh, Indian Institute of Rice Research. There, one of our EC member 
प्रोफेसर रमन सुंदरम मीनाक्षी मीनाक्षी सुंदरम मीनाक्षी रमन प्रोफेसर मीनाक्षी सुंदरम इज सो ग्राउंड टू अर्थ एंड ही डिड लॉट ऑफ वर्क इन राइस रिसर्च एंड वेन विल वी हियर देर स्टोरीज वी नेवर डू बिकॉज we know their fruits that we are eating but we don't know the farmer exactly i think i think that these are the real real heroes and you need to bring them to your podcast and make them visible make them uh, heard by all the public especially the student community yeah so basically at least in uh, in hyderabad or or faba or bangalore the bio system is is quite mature the life science ecosystem pharma quite mature and students should be aware of it or even the startup should be aware of it so that they can uh, get jobs or otherwise some kind of business opportunities too i think there's a faba event coming up in september yeah 16th of september it's called career connect so uh, it uh, it's again you know one of the story that i was telling to farhan and sharma or interns it all started in 2014 this this simple idea where my wife was not interested in doing phd <laughs> so she was <laughs> she she when if she stays in india she will get married so that's why she wants to be in germany but being in germany you cannot be idle right so it, uh, she did an internship afterwards she wanted to get into industry but she couldn't get into industry because she couldn't speak german and jobs were so limited and then this event in in munich called messe munich and there there is a very big lab expo like instruments that are used in laboratories are being exhibited there it's a very big event it's like the comic con of uh, biotech yeah. exactly exactly so there uh, there was one company called job vector that that company hosted a career event there and there people get trained on cvs exposed to the live interviews take a professional picture so i saw that in 2014 at that time i didn't know how to make a good cv even though i was doing phd but i did not know how to make a good cv and i applied i got somehow i was lucky enough that cv must have been filled sir you've done a phd no before like i was oh, started for the phd, PhD. Okay. before the phd i got into germany mm-hmm. phd through a cv right but it was i would say stupid cv at the time i didn't know how to make it <laughs> but uh, going there i realized the importance of a good cv how to do interviews and everything i cracked interviews but it i think somehow i made it but i didn't know the structures it was just natural and uh, that's when i realized now exactly the same company messe munich germany has a branch office here in in india messe munich hyderabad messe munich bangalore uh, mumbai i think so these guys are doing a lab expo in india lab expo or something on september 16th september 14th to 16th and uh, that organizer came to us to make faba as a knowledge partner so as a knowledge partner we are doing some keynotes there but you know as i said faba right now is student centered and we took an opportunity to ask the organizers if we can do career event exactly what i saw in germany now we are doing that so i'm so proud in organizing it it's called career connect where we'll be bringing lots of pharma companies we'll be doing live cv sessions we'll be doing hr live interviews and and also networking sessions and uh, camera sessions like photo, taking professional pictures so all these things i want to i want at least 2000 to 3000 students there i think a lot of students will come because we contacted every university in india yeah we haven't yet so we have to we have to be a bit serious and and then uh, go on to the ground and bring lot of students lot of companies there so i'm really excited to organize it and i'm also scared that how this will go uh, but but i think these are the just start for for faba we will be doing regularly student events job placements upskilling them we also have something called finishing school that we are building yeah we have three finishing schools that we are planning 
one is in collaboration with agri biotechnology foundation where we will be training students who finish some courses in plant biotechnology or plant agriculture sciences we will be training them on recent trends or industry requirement and placing them immediately in the in the company another one is, is with dr reddy's of institute of life sciences dr reddy's institute of life sciences in collaboration with couple of other companies like origin sinjin or other companies where we will train at next 20 students and for 3 months and then place them in the company another one is with icici knowledge park called ikp so we are fortunate enough that uh, uh, vice president of ikp dr vishwanathan dupatla is so keen to help us out in launching one more finishing school with them so he, he thinks that this is also need of the hour and uh, good thing is it's in genome valley genome valley has a lot of companies so we want to help students to train in the lab in ikp and also go to industries and do internship there while getting trained and immediately so that they you know they have job required skills and they can get placed that's excellent and emphasis on career connect it will be free of cost to enter yes and i think that should be emphasized here yeah. because a lot of people charge because there's a lot of third parties and a lot of brokers which make a deal with the student and the mm -hmm. organization and they bring but emphasis students it's totally for us they are never a uh, revenue model even though they take membership it's only thousand rupees it, it it's it's never a sustainable model for us we want to empower them and we get money from somewhere else it could be industries or it could be some other thing but so september 16th september 16th we have to be there yeah <laughs> and this will be in the podcast as well there will be a link okay. that would let them register and show up sure please do please do it it has to reach as many life science students as possible because this will be one of their event that will change their way of thinking about life sciences they'll get job ready they will get networked with there will be 400 analytical instrument exhibition there there will be demos, there will be job advertisements. We will be reaching out to all our network partners to send their job ads so that and also asking their HR manager to be there so they can directly talk to them. Exactly. I think that will be a very good help for just biotech graduates who just got out of their college right now. Yeah. And we will be expecting a lot of people to come. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure people will come. Yes. <laughs> so we have discussed so many things starting from my personal history. Um, hitting roadblocks, getting back to career, and then giving back to community. We talked about startups, we talked about students, we talked about Faba ecosystem, and the events that we are doing. So overall, to wind up, what I see is that the, the, the future in life sciences is going to be amazing. I cannot say it can be compared with IT, but, but it will get, I'm sure it will get. It will get, it will get and then the, it's, it's going to stay for at least two to three decades, because the bioeconomy, we, we talk about biofuels, we talk about uh, you know, uh, biologics, biosimilars, biotechnology as a whole it could be industrial biotechnology, it could be agriculture, agriculture, or it could be marine biotechnology. Anything that I think we didn't even touch the tip of the iceberg about the applications of biotechnology. So if you start, if you start thinking about it, and also the government's interest is a lot in this thing. People who are studying biotechnology, if they stick to it, if they understand the importance of biotechnology or life sciences in general, it could be medical devices as well. There's a huge, huge future. And somebody who wants to innovate, look at the market value that they have, look at the India's size or, or the whole world size. If, if they can crack something Indian market, I think they have a huge role to play. And uh, But one has to be really positive because it's not like IT that can open up quick. It takes time. But once it takes time, you can be proud of your career. And I just want to tell the viewers and the listeners that Dr. Jagdish is only 36 years young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's 36 years young, has a PhD started up, I think, three to four companies in Germany, 
failed. Did it <laughs> was it fail? Like, oh. did it fail? Fail in the sense you need to. I do. I mean, one has to define what is a failure. For me, the failure was uh, COVID. COVID. I COVID. think COVID did a lot of things COVID, to everyone. Yeah. So, by being that risk you, I didn't know how to be that risk you. And also, not lacking a proper idea of setting up what exactly I want. I started a company called Dare to Start because while I was working with European Union, uh, at the time, many people used to come to me and say like, hey, Jagadish, you are a startup manager. I have a startup idea, but I don't know how to start and I'm afraid to start. So I picked up that people are scared to start. That's why I even named it as Dare to Start. It was super successful. We did four hackathons, empowered around 1,000 individuals, Indo-European, Indo-American. Lots of uh, governments used to work with us, like Startup India, Invest India, European Union, several of American agencies. Uh, one of the incubators started a special program for Indians. And IIIT incubator, IIIT Kerala for time used to come to us, say like, we want this, we want to this. Like that, there were many, many instances, and we were we were seen as rock stars at the time. Like one, I got one proposal to be under, you know, 40 under 40 in EU. EU. So like these things will happen. Was supposed to happen. Then uh, my co-founder and myself, we were thinking like, we are not hackathon organizers, we need to be something else. We, we were brainstorming, we were connecting with a lot of people, but you know, they did, we didn't have a proper idea in, in mind, what exactly we want. We were just entrepreneur ecosystem enablers, but we didn't have a proper physical space. But COVID just shut down everything. And COVID came, my, my father expired, I had severe COVID, and then whole business got shut down, like we were not generating any revenues. And my team was there with me, supporting but uh, when i had when i didn't lack when i lacked energy they were they just left me and when they left me when i saw all the negativity in, in me and in the company and then that's when I, I quit the company so the company still exists my co-founder is there to run it but i came out uh, so many lessons i learned being one has to be really really positive when you run a company even though there are setbacks next day you need to get up and move on and one has to be prepared for that and working with the team because team can make or break and and I, uh, you know kind of enabling the team is very important and having a solid plan if you don't have a solid plan cons being consistent even with the wrong plan is also good at one point you will realize you can pivot but for me uh, that break not being consistent was was a major major failure so that that i think i learned a lot of lessons even I tried to build another company, the same you know, energy I didn't have. And that's when that's what I like in Faba is that I like the mentorship that I get from Red NSR, from the executive committee board members. So even though I, I work like a startup, but uh, because of the, the, the network that Faba brings in, Red NSR's mentorship, that's, a, that's the main thing for me to stay in Faba is that Red NSR's mentorship and, and then the network that he brings in. There's so much to learn. And it, for me, it's just coming and working, just staying in the office. Everybody comes to me, and then we can do much, much stuff. I think I will do much better at Faba than within my startup. I think that's a very... Dr. Jagdish is the most positive person in Faba right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I think everyone should have a Dr. Jagdish in their life. Oh, my God. <laughs> he just exudes positivity every time, wherever we go. <laughs> it's not like that. Okay. I think it was a very productive talk, Dr. Jagdish. Thank you so much for coming. We are still in our workplace. <laughs> Thank you. So our, much. our office is just 10 steps right there. <laughs> Thank you so much for initiating this very important podcast. Because, you know, Faba as an organization doesn't care much about branding. 
and marketing. So uh, even uh, when I joined, we didn't have a LinkedIn page or any social media page. So right now we push a lot of effort in building a first LinkedIn page because a lot of our executive committee board members are on LinkedIn. And we started with zero followers. Now we have around 3,250 followers. So it's slowly increasing. We are not viral any day, but I think we will go viral soon because the quality content we are producing and then the mentorship that we want to provide for students. So we are, and, and this podcast will also add a lot of value for the branding of Papa because we'll bring a lot of behind faces to the front. So it could be a knowledge bank, especially somebody who's building a career or building a startup because now they have some role models to look forward for. And the first role model is Dr. Jagdeep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very small in, in terms of Faba's network, but uh, but thank you, Jiti. So Faba Fridays, we are bringing experts who are talking mostly about branding, one personal branding, could be building a good LinkedIn profile or, or art of networking, or uh, you know how to make a good CV, how to make a good link, a good cover letter or anything. So we don't teach soft skill, uh, hard skills like how to do pipetting, how to do <laughs> chromatography, or how to do a biochemical assess in Faba Friday. Those are separate workshops. Here it's all about other side of the hard skills. I How think Faba Friday actually helped someone get a job, right? Last time, last Faba Friday, four companies, they came and pitched their jobs. They said like, we are looking for these positions. If there is anybody, please apply. And we did match some of them to the company, right? Exactly. They, I think we got around 20 applications now. We launched something called Faba Recruit on uh, Zoho platform. So people can apply. People can look into jobs, what Faba has, Faba Network has, and they can apply. It's a, just a start. I think at one point, Faba will be the recruiting partner for many companies. That's excellent. I think Faba is doing a great job. And I think this podcast will bring in new people and will push those people to these things. Faba Friday, Faba Recruit, and on September 16th. Career Connect. Career Connect. I think we will be expecting a lot of people to join. I think that will be a very good event. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you, Jason. I think you should bring medical doctors. Yeah, there. I'm sure I, I, I will bring your expertise. Yes. And then, then let them see other side of where actually the medicine comes. One of the experience that I want to share. So recently, um, I, 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 for my wife, we got a rituximab injection. And then uh, when, when the doctor said, like, we need to inject rituximab, then, then I asked within Faba Network. And I got freely from Hetero Pharma. That's the power of Faba. Uh, thanks to Baladigar. And then uh, I told like to the doctor, look, this is a rituximab that you asked and I got it from Retropharma. Then the doctor was shocked. This is not the rituximab that I told. I have, we have a couple of manufacturers who are selling it and I never heard of Retropharma. I was surprised. Retropharma, Retropharma is a very big company. It's a very big company. And where did this Fabiflu, this Fabipiravir, these things comes in during, during COVID crisis. And I, I realized the stupidity of doctors because they, <laughs> they don't have market. They are good with patients. They know what works. But the thing is, the manufacturing, the biotech, I think they are, they are shut with this knowledge because exactly. they never get exposed to it. Maximum they get exposed to is our medical representatives who go and knock their door all the time. Knock their business. door and sell that one specific drug they've been selling for the last 50 years. The, 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 the companies are just buying doctors up right now. Exactly, exactly. And, and a similar example like uh, IVIG injections that they injected. Uh, I got it. I, 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 they, they, they gave me one contact number. I got medicines from them. Then I saw that it was Richo Biotech, who is a manufacturer. So marketing was done by somebody else. And Richo Biotech is our Faba member. <laughs> Not a member, I think it's a network partner. So we, then I have a lot of friends at Richo Biotech. And they helped me to source in a very cheap way from Richo Biotech. Then when I showed to the doctor, I said, like, no, this is not what I recommended. I recommended <laughs> this one. It's like, when you look it's at the same, it, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. He's not exposed to that company. It's just a trust that is yeah. wrong. 
and we are not injecting drugs it's just the body that is what we inject so i think that knowledge is very very important i mean there could be business angle where that from where we get it but uh, as a person who is in the industry i think uh, this knowledge is kind of important i think we'll wrap it up this is our first episode by the way i hope it gets 10 views at least <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter doesn't matter we just have to keep churning out content doesn't matter yeah when time comes everything goes viral mm-hmm. as of now we are not behind it yeah thank you dr jagdish for your time thank you dr jitin for i'm not a doctor yet. i'm not a doctor yet. <laughs> thank you uh, you know what to say future dr jitin to be to be doctor <laughs> to be doctor hopefully <laughs> so i think the knowledge what you are you are trying to bring from the medical world and trying to bridge the other side is very very important i mean we should not underestimate any side like doctor's knowledge is these are the real living doctors the uh, living gods who saved the lives of people very very important player in the, the whole in the whole let's say in our life in our construction and uh, and now you are you want to equip them with the new knowledge of what's happening at the research i think what you are trying is commendable and faba will help you out there thank you sir thank you so much